We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. We are recording this Thursday night, September 22nd, as the Chicago White Sox concluded their series against the Cleveland Guardians. You remember when we said that the White Sox, this was a must-win series? And if possible, a must-sweep series? Well, instead of winning the series or sweeping the Guardians, they got swept. We were hypercritical of how poorly the Minnesota Twins played against the Cleveland Guardians. And the Chicago White Sox at home suffered the same fate the Minnesota Twins did and got swept. A pretty embarrassing result. And a lot of White Sox fans are upset, even in the media. They have every reason to be. Starting with our friend, Lawrence Holmes from 670 to score on his show, Bernstein and Holmes. This out, and then we're all going to celebrate at the end. No, we weren't wrong. We weren't wrong when we, we started to ring alarm bells in the first Cleveland series. We weren't wrong when we saw Baltimore come in here and run you out of your own building. We weren't wrong when you end up getting a 8-5 triple play on you because your players lost concentration. We weren't wrong when Oakland came in here and played a really good series against the White Sox. And you're going, wait a minute, Oakland sucks. We weren't wrong when we're watching Cleveland just grow and grow and going, they should probably be worried what about Cleveland. Got swept by the Diamondbacks. We weren't wrong when they got swept by the Diamondbacks. We're like, this is awful. We weren't wrong when they decide to walk a hitter one and two in the Dodgers series and then do it again. Do it again. We weren't wrong about them. They don't get to as an organization because this is what they were going to do. What they were going to do is if they were able to climb their ladder up to the American League Central Championship, they were going to tell us that we were all wrong. Even NBC Sports Chicago, part owned by Jerry Reinsdorf and their podcast, the White Sox Talk podcast, 
Ryan McGuffey vented about the White Sox. Tony La Russa sound like fun to you? Hell no. <laughs> you know, like, no. Yes, exactly. He's never represented fun ever. We've talked, like, you can be old and you can be old and hip and still resonate like Terry Joe Francona Madden. does, Joe Madden does, yeah. where you can still get the message across. He's the wrong manager for this team. Wrong manager. It set the whole thing back. Yes. I don't care. There's been bad roster moves. There have been, yeah. there have been horrible signs. Yes, Mighty Grandal, awful. Yes. Dallas Keuchel, they paid him to go away. There's going to be other guys you're probably going to pay to go away. There's yeah. been bad decisions made on the roster. Yeah. But this whole thing failed when Tony La Russa was the manager. It's just, it's just a fact. Yeah. Tony La Russa, the hiring of Tony La Russa shut the window. Yeah. It shut it. And it made, it's going to make the White Sox pivot. It's going to, have, it's going to force the hands. Look, I don't know. What, there's... The changes will be interesting. More and more anger will be spewed from media outlets when they're talking about the White Sox. And eventually, as time passes, the worst part will settle in. Apathy. The 2022 season is a colossal failure. I don't say that to be dramatic. This was a record-setting payroll. There's bad money on the books going into next year. This is a roster filled with redundancies but also feels incomplete. We don't know about the managerial situation going into 2023. Simply put, this is not going to be a fun offseason for White Sox fans. And in the last three days, the Cleveland Guardians showed up and punched a hole through every White Sox weakness. So let's recap what we saw this week, organize ourselves to start getting ready for the next step in this journey, which is into a very dark tunnel of uncertainty with the White Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, what a series. I'd like to open with an attitude of gratitude to try to lighten the mood here. Love it. I'm grateful that the White Sox let us know. They just gave us an answer. <laughs> like, my fear was that they would win two out of three. And I'm not sure like which way would have been worse. Like if they drop the opener the way they did, and then they beat Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber. And then you would think like, Oh man, if only they had, if only Liam Hendricks pitched one more inning or, you know, just, you can go through all the decisions and, 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 you know, sequences during that 11 inning game where you could rethink just exactly what went wrong and what Miguel Cairo could have done or whatever. You know, just, you could have, uh, you know, we could have analyzed that game into the ground. My other fear is that like they'd win two out of three, like the opener, you know, they'd be carefully stitching it together against Tristan McKenzie and then Bieber would shut it down. Just like, Oh, great. You know, just inflating the hope. So either way, like it'd just be two of three. It was almost like I was, I was more worried about that than anything else, just because it would keep the, it would sustain the frustration and just like the White Sox being a perpetual tease, which I think everybody's felt this year. And, you know, I thought that was the most fitting way for the series to go. So I am surprised they got swept in a way. On the other hand, when you see like losing the gut punch game and then just, you know, having seen the twins suffer the same thing, just losing four out of five to the Guardians. And now they look like they're intent on, well, we're not going to win the division. So we're not going to let the White Sox beat us in draft position. Like that's how they're approaching the rest of the way. And the White Sox are saying like, hell you will. Here we come, Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is, I think, where we are. So, like, it's almost like, you know, I, I wrote in the recap that the White Sox signed a do not resuscitate form. Just on one hand, it's, you know, sad and tragic. On the other hand, like, at least you have the comfort of knowing that you're abiding by their wishes to stop putting effort into sustaining 
uh, a life force around this team that has been drained of it. Jokes on the Minnesota. It's a draft lottery going into next year. <laughs> yes, you improve your percentage of moving up, but not as much as if you can get into the top five. So lose as many games as you want. Uh, everybody gets thrown into the ping pong machine, the ping pong machine, and uh, we'll see where the White Sox end up. In next year's Major League Baseball draft, but it will be a top 15 pick. So there's that. Uh, watch the White Sox win the last 12 games of the season, Jim. They go on a 12 game winning streak. They miss the playoffs. I mean, that is still a possibility. It's not going to happen, but it is a possibility. That would. How would you feel if they did that? If the White Sox won the last 12 games of the season, how would you feel? I'm looking at the standings right now to do the math on, of what Cleveland would have to do. So let me see here real quick. So it's 12 games. The White Sox are trailing by eight. So yeah, the Cleveland would have to go uh, three and nine. Three and nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on one hand, like, you know, if that happened, then Elvis Andrews is, uh, uh, comments about like uh, you know sooner or later cleveland will crumble will be like the the greatest trash talk of all time it just in the sequence it happened you know just you know we gave it to you and you still fell apart ha 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 uh so i'd appreciate that but anything less than cleveland uh going three and nine like if cleveland four and eight and, the, and still won the tiebreaker then what would have it all been for so yeah it's that's how i would feel well it, you gotta look at seattle the White Sox actually own the tiebreaker over Seattle. So they won the last 12 mm. games of the season. Maybe they could uh, pop the balloon yeah. in Seattle and uh, sneak in the playoffs that way. Yeah, theoretically, yeah. I'm not used to looking at the wild card column just because the you know Central has always been closer, but not anymore. <laughs> Six and a half back, and that's basically like one and a half game edge because Cleveland has an eight game lead effectively. So when the White Sox say they're not done yet and they're going to continue to play hard until they're officially eliminated, that's really the most realistic shot they have going to the postseason now. They got to play at a level where they can end the season in a tie or finish ahead of the Seattle Mariners. So they could be the sixth seed, and the reward would be going to Cleveland <laughs> for the three Where they will playoff. crumble. Yay. Where Cleveland will crumble. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I guess the good news there is that only Baltimore is in their way, so it's not like you have to leapfrog you know, three different teams to, to close that gap. On the other hand, it's a six and a half game gap. So yeah. Yeah. We're, we're being delusional here. Uh, it's trying to talk tragic number of seven, <laughs> try to talk ourselves into this, uh, last hope. But if you hear the white Sox talk about that, there's still hope that they're still going to play hard. They're not officially eliminated. That's the most realistic path. Now is the wild card to get that six seed, uh, and sneak into the playoffs that way. But it is very, very unlikely for that to happen for the White Sox. So let me ask you this question, because this is the question that everybody has in their minds as they are now providing their response to what happened against the Cleveland Guardians and looking ahead to 2023. What do you think is the single greatest problem the Chicago White Sox have, Jim? I think the biggest problem is probably more than a an on-field problem. Like, I think at this point you have to look at it like, you know, more macro than micro. So I would just say leadership absence of like, you know, maybe if you want to be a little bit more specific, like leadership that has imagination, like just, you know, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are out of ideas and they've been out of ideas for basically like two years now, maybe even three, like just, you know, they keep acquiring relievers. They keep, you know, just trying to protect 
jealously protect leads versus, you know, reimagining the lineup or retooling the position player depth chart or what have you to try to be better at creating leads and getting leads back if a bullpen happens to blow it. And we just see this, you know, very conservative approach to team building and their uh, effectiveness keeps shrinking. You know, they were gifted the AL Central last year because the twins fell apart, but you know, the, we saw, you know, I guess we talked about last year, like what would the central have looked like if the White Sox medal was actually tested? Like the only time we saw them stress tested over the course of the second half was the, uh, ALDS and the Astros basically wiped the floor with them outside of one, you know, great game. And, uh, at least they gave the home fans something to cheer about, but at least, you know, that, that should have been like, Oh, we are still short of being an elite team in the American league, even though we won the central comfortably and they just really didn't add much. And, uh, now we saw what happened, like when just the two other teams in the central are better, like the twins, they're collapsing now, but they were formidable over the course, like the first four months, they've, uh, you know, maybe three months they've been playing like a 90 loss team for, I think the last, you know, since May basically, but still, I mean, like they, they're formidable to the White Sox, Cleveland, as we talked about, like, you know, over the course of like the, those four months, we thought that Cleveland was the bigger threat because they just had a, they knew how they needed to win and seemed like they were well equipped to win that way. And you yeah, sure enough, that's how it's panning out, but just, you know, they have a, you know, their way of winning works for them right now. The White Sox way of winning um, stopped working, you know, just the, and they don't really have a, an understanding of how to get out of it. And, and, you know, this happens to other front offices. We just saw the Royals fire Dayton Moore because he had one idea. And he, he wasn't transactional enough. He wasn't uh, aggressive enough where he just, you know, got too attached to players to really uh, have a... Yeah, I guess, you know, what he might deem a cold-blooded approach to figuring it out. And we saw Theo Epstein get too attached to the guys who uh, got uh, got him the World Series with the Cubs, and they hit a dead end. And, and the White Sox, you know, they've been at it for longer. They've been at it for 20-something years with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. So, I mean, they're, they're really tapped out. And... Uh, we're seeing it and, and we're seeing like that, you know, just there, there's a stagnation with the, you know, the uh, chain of command with, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf just, you know, not having any ideas for new blood. So he goes like the oldest idea possible and Tony LaRusso just, uh, you know, it's just a very insular franchise and it doesn't deserve to be so insular because they've, you know, outside 2005, they've accomplished nothing. And like, that's how you have to look at it. Like, you know, Rick Hahn has two postseason wins. They've only had one season since uh, 1917, since the end of World War I, uh, in which they won a postseason series. Like, that's how you have to look at it. Like, it just, it's, there's nothing to celebrate here. If any uh, franchise really needs to just overhaul everything it's ever done, it's the White Sox, and yet they keep going in the opposite direction, and it's shown no signs of stopping. I agree with you. We don't know who is truly in charge of baseball operations. We think it's Kenny Williams or it's Rick Hahn, but... I think Kenny Williams could be quiet quitting, Jim. And Rick Hahn is a, he's a general manager, but he's more of a middle manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he's at least treated like a middle manager in that if he does something great, he gets all the credit. If he does something wrong, well, it's the boss's boss's fault. Let's revisit a clip from Rick Hahn, the White Sox general manager, and supposedly the architect of this competitive window. There's some areas right now of, you know, whether it's White Sox blogs or, or on the Twitter universe that just everything's negative. The glass is always half empty and there's almost like this momentum towards 
I will, you want they want the rebuild to fail because they can say I told you so. More right. sure they want to celebrate a championship, and that's unfortunate. Like that, that's that's unfortunate. And and it's one thing to be critical and scrutinize and take the facts and evaluate and then decide I don't like this. It's another thing, and it's a little bit fed by the age of Twitter. I agree. To have the instantaneous 45-second response of this is horse you know, without yep. even thinking anything through, which is fine, because the fact is, is whether it's next year, the year after, or whenever this run begins and there's, we start getting closer to having parades around here, all that will be forgotten. They'll, they'll be, the be able to enjoy it. They'll just be the first in line for a t-shirt. Absolutely. Everyone will be in line. 100%. Everyone will be back to enjoy it, which is fine. That was from 2019 at a NBC Sports Chicago live taping of their White Sox Talk podcast. Since then, the competitive window was opened. The White Sox did reach the postseason in 2020, as Jim mentioned, going 35-25. and 25. They were the seventh seed in an eight-seed postseason format. And as you recall, they had a terrible finish to the regular season and lost games two and three of the wildcard round to Oakland. In 2021, the White Sox won their first division title since 2008. They won 93 games, the most since 2005, and as Jim mentioned earlier, proceeded to get their teeth kicked in by the Houston Astros, losing in four games of the ALDS. In 2022, as we speak, the White Sox are 76 and 74. And they have a below 500 record at home. They're 35 and 40 at guarantee rate field. This is the competitive window, Jim. And may I remind the White Sox front office that the Chicago Cubs made the postseason four straight years, which you modeled your rebuild after. In three of those years, they reached the championship series. The one year that they won the National League championship series, they won the World Series. And in that audio clip, White Sox fans were promised parades by Rick Hahn. The blogs and Twitter accounts that he mentioned in 2019 include us, Jim, at Sox Machine. And honestly, we would prefer not to be the canary in the coal mine. We like being happy. We like talking about positive things and exciting things. But somebody has to be. We've been with Lawrence Holmes on his show all season long. We voice our concerns on one of the most listened to sports stations in the country. During the rebuild, we spent a lot of time studying and learning what other MLB franchises do. Learning about the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays to understand how those franchises build their sustainable models. Then we take those learnings and we share them with you, our faithful listeners, or you read Jim's columns on SoxMachine.com. Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox front office promised a bill of goods that White Sox fans are not receiving. As Jim mentioned in a column earlier this week, he focuses too much on the margins instead of approving the core. His front office and coaching staff focused way too much this season on hitting singles and batting average, which wasn't the problem in their postseason loss last year to Houston. The team's defense is terrible, and that expensive bullpen Rick Hahn built is rather flawed and quite underwhelming. And the worst part? They went all in in 2022. You may be screaming at me and disagreeing that the White Sox didn't go all in, but they went all in. This is the highest player uh, payroll in franchise history. You may have a different definition of all in. Jim and I have a much different definition than what Rick Hahn and the White Sox think all in is. We probably share that definition with you. And all the White Sox have to show for 2022 is watching the Cleveland Guardians, not even trying to win the American League Central this year, celebrate as they inch closer to another division title with the youngest roster in Major League Baseball, and they are going to the postseason for the fifth time in their last seven years. 
And as Jim, you mentioned, the Royals fired Dane Moore. Moore helped the Royals win back-to-back American League pennants in 2014 and 15, and they won the World Series in 15. They were really close to winning the World Series in 14. And he lost his job this year because they're way underperforming their expectations. Why Rick Hahn gets to keep his job after this season, Jim, is beyond me. Mm -hmm. And if you want change for the White Sox, I would start there. He's not the right architect. You should have someone else coming up with the ideas. Well, it's funny. I I listened to that clip because you you mentioned that you were going to cite it. And I don't think he was. Yeah, I like to think he wasn't talking about me because I give his thought process and his decisions like a lot of thoughts. And I, you know, I, I write all my thoughts out there. They're a part of like a permanent record. I, you know, I'm, my interest is being correct or, you know, at least somewhat correct, you know, laying out the possibilities and then trying to, you know, my best to uh, take a stab at what's most likely. Like, that's kind of how I approach it. So like uh, when he says that, you know, certain people who are, you know, examine decisions say, I don't like this. I count me in that bucket. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but <laughs> I'm, I'm safe. But yeah, it's the weirdest thing to me about that whole run up is that, you know, the idea of parades and I'm not sure if, you know, I wonder if like saying he promised parades is too much, but he mentioned, you know, parades on more than one occasion. And one, like mm-hmm. the White Sox have never won consecutive division titles in their entire history. So let's start there. And they didn't accomplish that. They, they, they will not have accomplished that. They'll have to, the soonest they can accomplish that is 2024 now because they failed this year. Uh, and also just, you know, it's, it's so self-defeating because, you know, the, yeah, I, I think Billy Bean probably worded it too strongly in the other direction, saying the the playoffs are crapshoots, and like you know his his task is to win the division and get into the postseason, then whatever happens happens. Like I think there are ways to tweak a roster and make your you know maybe not with the A's budget, it's hard to do it, but there are ways to you know improve a roster to be more postseason friendly. So you know he probably strong yeah voiced it too strongly in the other direction, but just. Really, like his job is getting there and his job is tweaking, trying to address what didn't work when he didn't get as far as he wanted to. But to promise parades, especially when he hadn't accomplished anything to date, like he failed in his first rebuild and all he'd done was the easy part, which is trading really good players and really good contracts for prospects. Like, I I don't get why he did that. Like, it it just, it it seemed, yeah, it, it was weird at the time. And it just sounds so alien to my ears now just saying, how could you have even thought saying that was a good idea at the time? Especially somebody like him who, you know, he lawyers everything he says. And, you know, most questions when he answers them, he basically just takes 45 seconds to restate the premise of the question. Like he doesn't actually, his answers don't have a lot of calories to him, nutritive value. They just, you know, they're, they're, they're time fillers. So to go on that limb twice is, you know, I think very uncharacteristic of him and will ultimately just, you know, I think it's good that he said it just to make the failure more stark when you actually like back it up to like, these weren't my expectations. These were yours. <laughs> like these, you know, we're, we're not putting words in his mouth here. A level of arrogance there from Rick Hahn. and some now use the phrase smugness from Rick Hahn, something that he will continue to allude to Ask me after the parade. Well, no one is throwing you a parade, Rickon. Yeah. There might be a little celebration if you were to get fired and the White Sox show a sign of moving on into a different direction 
as Jim astutely pointed out, we have been in this cycle with Kenny Williams for more than two decades. And Rick Hahn, this was his 20th season with the Chicago White Sox this season. And Jeremy Haber, I think, has been with the organization like 27 years. The entire White Sox front office is stale. That's what really needs to change. If you're looking to strip it down and rebuild uh, or strip it down to the studs like our friend Lawrence mentioned on his show, that's where it needs to happen. Yes, there's a roster construction problem, but Jim, you can't tell me like I here I'm thinking logically, not what is going to happen. So our listeners, I, I need you to know the difference. I'm not predicting what's going to happen with the White Sox. I'm just talking about logically with everything that we have learned over our nine seasons podcasting together and talking to all the guests and people around baseball and learning what other franchises do. Logically, it does not make sense to me with the White Sox to continue moving on, having Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn call the shots here. It just doesn't make sense to me. And we have seen it within the division. It didn't make sense to Detroit ownership to continue with Alavila. He got canned. Mm -hmm. The Royals ownership didn't think it made too much sense to keep on with Dane Moore. He got canned. With the way that things are going in Minnesota, I'm sure they're going to go through some changes. There's going to be a lot of changes in the American League Central as far as in the front office or in the managerial positions. And the White Sox should join them. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the through line for all of them is just like running out of ideas. Like Al Avila, like he was already... You know, once Eduardo Rodriguez and Javier Baez, um, you know, really face planted out of the gate with their big contracts for, you know, various reasons, um, you know, that that put Avila under the gun. And then, like, when the trade deadline passed and he really did nothing with all those bullpen arms that he had, like he traded Michael Fulmer and Robbie Grossman for really nobody. And that's about it. Like, he just couldn't move anybody else. Like, it just they ran out of patience. Like, oh, you don't you can't you're, you're kind of just brain locked right now. You just, you can't see a way out of this. We need somebody else. And so they hired Scott Harris from the giants and same thing with the, the Royals. Like, I think it's interesting with the Royals that they're going with, uh, uh, I'm not sure to pronounce his last name. I haven't heard it said JJ Piccolo or Piccolo. One of the two. Um, I, th- I think it's Piccolo. Piccolo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, the, the GM under Dayton more, but they're going with him. Like they're clearing more out of the way to let him see what he can do. And, you know, that's, that's it. Very similar as Texas did, right? With uh, John Daniels getting fired and then promoting former yeah. Royal Chris Young. That's another case too. Daniels had been there forever and just had a hard time getting out of that rut that he was in. And he tried, he took some big swings with you know, the Marcus Semien and Corey Seager deals, but just like couldn't quite, couldn't quite figure out a way to get out of it. And just, you know, it's understandable. I mean, like it happens with every, like even successful teams, the Red Sox have done it. You know, they just, you know, had this, you know, had a couple t- GMs that just hit a wall. They like this. It, it, I imagine like when you experience success and it worked one way and it stops working and you're attached to players and you have a hard time, like you don't want to be the guy that traded, like to use a White Sox example, like you don't want to be the guy who trades Aloy Jimenez who hits 50 homers for some other team. Like I understand the apprehension of making those really hard trades, but like I think the White Sox are at the point where tough moves have to be made and you know, I, I think with the Royals and especially the Tigers, like they're bringing in somebody completely 
from outside the organization who isn't attached to anybody says like, here's, here's what my experience with the giants and Cubs have told me what needs to be done here. And that's really what the white Sox need is just, uh, a consultant, you know, or basically like that kind of like, you know, bloodless, uh, heartless, uh, look at the roster to say, mm-hmm. uh, this guy, this guy, this position, nope, nope, nope. Well, you know, just, it, it's going to take that. Like that, that's what, it, that's what has to be done. And right now uh, the White Sox haven't shown the initiative or the acumen, or maybe the chain of command is just too tangled to actually have the decision makes, makers make decisions. But from the decisions we have seen Rick Hahn make, there's no reason to believe that he can do it either. So yeah, just, it's all a, a Gordian knot of, yeah, I guess Rick Hahn said mired in mediocrity before. It's, this has got to be worse than mediocrity or now, right? Or it's basically mediocrity, but enhanced mediocrity on steroids. Uh, just how pervasive it is. Like just that, you know, it, it's expensive mediocrity, I guess it would be the way to put it. The think tank for the White Sox is 86-year-old Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, and Rick Hahn. And Tony Larusa. Uh, oh yeah, and Tony La Russa. That's right. That's that is the think tank for the White Sox. And if you ran a poll, which of these four would you like to see keep their job? None of them. None of them would pass that poll. White Sox fans would have seen all four go away from the franchise. And John Heyman, he was on six seventy the score today, and he was asked what could possibly happen with Tony La Russa. And Heyman mentioned that. There's been some talk that the White Sox could move LaRusa up to the front office in his last year of his contract. So after my rant about the poor job Rick Hahn has done, Jim, honestly, in his 10 seasons as general manager, what the White Sox really need is more confusion in who is running baseball operations. So put mm-hmm. me down as this being a terrible idea, Jim. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to end it. Put me down. It's a terrible <laughs> idea, so just... Yeah, it's it's been it's been a run. Uh, peace out. Now it's yeah, it, like the problem is like in other organizations or other times or maybe other iterations of the White Sox, like it could be done without being a threat. Like yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like when Harold Baines and he was going through health issues, but like he was the assistant hitting coach, and then he just you know didn't want to do it anymore, so they bumped him up to the front office and just. He was there as an ambassador role and just, you know, he's there to go to Sox Fest and, and do other things and people like seeing him and just a way to keep him, you know, uh, somebody who's well-liked involved. But with LaRusa, you know, just it's enough has been, you know, very confusing about the way this team has been managed. Like the, all the injuries, all the, um, all the things players have had to play through the way, like, you know, there's been like kind of just denialism about, you know, what kind of condition players are in and what kind of effort they're putting forth. And like, just things that like the front office could have overridden about like, okay, this player needs to sit. This player needs to be on the, uh, on the shelf right now because he's not physically not right. They did not do. So does that mean LaRusa has veto power over, you know, just uh, the White Sox looking for reinforcements from Charlotte's like, you know, which I could see maybe being the case given just how like, you know, Yohan Moncada and Yasmani Grandal had like rehab stints for months at the major league level uh, without any kind of uh, ramifications for uh, their playing time or, you know, help from below. It, it's, 
there's enough there that makes me think. And also the fact that like they can't say it's a season for him right now. Like with the team performing better under Miguel Cairo. And I don't think like Cairo's a miracle worker. I think Cairo served a short-term purpose in saying like voicing some things that need to be voiced, but because he's not in charge, he can't, it's not his team. Right. Like, you know, to where like, you know, at the end of games, like he said that, you know, he tried to fall on the sword and say like, we lost, we played badly. It was my fault because I didn't prepare them, but he can't like, I don't think he has the authority to slam players or throw them under the bus or throw anybody like throw any, uh, previous decision making under the bus because he's not in charge and his job could be taken away tomorrow. If, if the white Sox deem Tony La Russa physically able to perform. So it's just, it's not so like they didn't even do him the favor. They didn't empower him to do what needed to be done, uh, or, or, you know, give him the full toolbox in order to try to get through this, you know, perform a miracle, uh, which, you know, and you can doubt whether he could do it just because he's never been in this position before. Very difficult position to be put in, but like they didn't empower him to do even that job because they didn't say it was his job to begin with. So it's like, I don't trust if Tony LaRusse is in the white Sox front office that it'll be the ceremonial role that allows him to be paid. Like it, I can see him just having too much clout because, you know, just the Jerry Reinsdorf circle gets smaller and smaller. And Ryan, you know, if, if all they're going to do is sit in the owner's suite and LaRusse is going to tell him, you know, Reinsdorf, what's wrong with the White Sox? Like, who's he going to listen to? Tony. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't trust it. Like, yeah, I think it was, I think it was Nick Schaefer uh, on, on Twitter talking about how like LaRusse, his, um, like his status, like his proximity to team was almost like a weather report. Like just, you know, LaRusse is not traveling the team. Like, Oh, oh that means I'll get games in. Like, <laughs> like, just, like it's, it's, it's bizarre. And I don't see that getting any less bizarre if LaRusse just sits in the owner's suite and they just talk about, you know, what LaRusse would do if he could, if his heart would allow him to do it. Like that's, yeah, that's what, that's what's especially worrisome here. Hey, the White Sox need more confusion and who is in charge, Jim? Uh, I'm saying that as a yeah. sarcastic. No, I mean, I don't think there could be any more. I think larusa has got plenty of power <laughs> as is. And like, you just continue to have the same amount of power, except, I mean, I guess it's not that unusual because like, you know, they, the White Sox hire Ozzy Guillen to do post games uh, and he wants Rick Renteria's job. So you have the former manager and like, you know, it, I, I don't think Ozzy Guillen's like, thinks he can win the job by criticizing uh, Rick Renteria or whoever. Like, I, I don't think it's like that, but just like you have this really tangled command or, or, or like playing with fan sentiments by saying like, give Ozzy the job, even though like the last time Ozzy had the job, he didn't want the job. Like, <laughs> like it's just the White Sox, you know, when you look at between Ozzy and Robin Ventura and Tony La Russa, three of the last four White Sox managers, and I'm talking about late stage Ozzy Guillen here, have either not wanted the job, had to be talked in the job, or didn't care to do the job because they hated the way the, the what the job had become. And like Rick Renteria in the middle of that was like the one guy who both wanted the job and acted as though he wanted the job and, and, and continued to want the job. And like that's that should be the bare minimum for managing the White Sox, but three out of four now. Uh, the White Sox have uh, failed that very basic test. So yeah, it's if you have Ozzy on post game and you have Larusa in Reinsdorf's ear, and you have a new manager there, like he's he's double screwed. Yeah, Rick Hahn would not be the general manager; he'd just be the team spokesperson, right? 
Like it'd be the media events at the White House. Joe Biden doesn't, you know, speak to the media all the time as president. He has a media person that the media asks questions to, and they have to face the music and answer on behalf of the president of the United States. That would be Rick Hahn's job. If, if this comes to fruition, yeah. if LaRusa moves to the front office, <laughs> it's really Jerry listening to LaRusa and Kenny whenever Kenny has to has anything to chime in because they've won World Series titles and Rick was just an assistant and he hasn't accomplished anything. So we'll make the decision. Rick, go explain it. Yeah, and and as we've seen the last uh, basically two months, like you know, he, Han can disappear from that role, and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. Yep, he just stays at home, and if he needs to talk to you, he'll just hop on Zoom. So yeah, it's a terrible idea. Uh, there's some that think this is the best case scenario. I don't. I think the best case scenario is just convincing Tony the Russa to re-retire and step away, and the White Sox just find another manager. Restrain so yeah. I, I think this is a bad idea, but I do think that John Heyman's going to be right, Jim. I think this is going to mm-hmm. happen, and the White Sox will then hire A.J. Brzezinski to be the next manager. God. <laughs> you know it to be true, Jim. Search your feelings. Yeah, uh, that's that's the idea I probably hate most. Is and AJ's that's manager. the idea like, that is probably going to happen. Because yeah. remember, no. we really hated the Tony the Russa idea, and it happened. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, if, if anything, I, I've learned just to take every idea seriously <laughs> until it's officially ruled out. Like, Ozzy, I took seriously until they ruled, like, they, they did us the favor of ruling him out. Rick Honda just said, like, you know, basically before the, or when Rentry was fired, basically the first thing he said was, like, nope, Ozzy's not getting the job. Like, thank you. Okay, good to know. I guess, although, like, you know, perhaps if Reinsdorf wanted it, you know, he might have been overruled. So he can't even, you know, it's tough. <laughs> It's it's tough. It is tough. Well, Jim and I will take a quick break. But coming up next, we're going to preview the White Sox and Tigers series as life and the 2022 season marches on. This episode of the Sox Machine podcast is presented by Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the United States every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. The coffee I get from Trade is so good. I can't believe how much I like what they picked out for me. And their team actually worked with me to create our own custom collection on Trade Coffee, which is great for me because I'm new to drinking coffee on the regular, and it's opened me up to different flavor profiles. You can check out our Socks Machine collection on Trade that includes a brew from Roaster Good Citizen, which they are based out of Nashville. Their sweet Augustine blend has a hint of sweetness that balances really well with the coffee bitterness. I have to be careful... I like it so much that I have to keep myself to just two cups of this blend before I'm way over-caffeinated. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take their coffee quiz and get expertly matched with coffees you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not... They'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to help support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. 
Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping at drinktrade.com slash socks machine. That's drinktrade.com slash socks machine for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The White Sox stay home this weekend with Detroit visiting. Again, the White Sox are 76 and 74 in the season. The Detroit Tigers are 57 and 92. They're 25 and a half games back at Cleveland at first place. They're already eliminated from the postseason. They're trying to avoid loss 100, or are they aiming for 100 losses to be in that top three? of the draft lottery to enhance their chances of having the number one pick next year. Your pitching problems for this series starting on Friday, September 23rd. This is a 7:10 PM central time start. Eduardo Rodriguez will make the start for the Tigers against Lucas Giolito as Giolito is trying to get his season ERA below five in the 2022 season. On Saturday night, 6:10 PM central time, Drew Hutchinson will be on the mound for the Tigers against the dart. Davis Martin, who pitched very well in Detroit in his last start. And on Sunday, September 25th at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, Tyler Alexander will be on the mound at lefty against Dylan Cease. And Jim, for those that are still listening to this podcast after the break, what am I looking forward to as a White Sox fan? Well, it's Dylan Cease's pursuit of the American League Cy Young. He's been the Tiger Tamer in his career, and I think he really could use a Cy Young boost start and take advantage of Detroit one more time on Sunday. That's what I'm going to be watching for. What's going to keep your attention through the weekend? I think that's one of them, and I don't really have, I guess, false hopes about him overcoming Justin Verlander. I think, you know, given the way Verlander has pitched, I mean, it's a hell of a story. Uh, The Astros are playing well. The ERA is great. It's like, you know, there's no shame in finishing a runner-up to that kind of season. So, uh you know, should Cease just, you know, not quite get there. And, you know, even if he throws seven no-hit innings, like that might not be enough to, like, get him the driver's seat. But, I mean, it's just cool to see, like, this kind of stride that Cease made, like, improving and then improving again. Like, so I'd like to see him see that improvement all the way through, even if I don't, you know, really have any kind of expectations that will result in a Cy Young award. Like I expect him to be in the finalist, you know, when they announce the, uh, you know, for the MLB network presentation, like he'll be in the top three and everybody will say, congratulations, Justin Verlander. And that's how it'll work out, but it'll be cool at least to have him in the running because, you know, given where he was 
in 2020, not making a postseason start because he just had his game had disintegrated. The strides he's made year over year is really cool. And it'd just be nice to not have like a a start, you know, or two at the end of the year, just tarnish it. Like you don't want to see his team all the way through. The other one is like Davis Martin, who has really been, you know, maybe the coolest story for the White Sox pound for pound, like based on like expectations before the season, like not even on top 30 lists. And he's basically been the last line of defense for the White Sox rotation against chaos because it's been, you know, yeah, Dallas Keuchel flame out. Johnny Cueto replaced him. You've had like Vince Velasquez step in on occasion. And you've had like, you know, Jimmy Lambert open and you've had Joe Kelly open. But when it comes to like just anybody who might be able to offer five innings, like it's been Davis Martin and nobody else in the minor leagues. And Martin has answered that call basically every time, whether he's been the, uh, starter whether he's been like the bulk guy behind an opener throwing five innings like he's he's come from off the top 30 list and delivered every start they've needed aside from one clunker so yeah he's another guy just like to not have uh not end his season on a sour note because he's been so good for the white Sox in such a vital role um it, it just reminds me of like when remember when we were talking about the uh uh that, that Joe Kelly won two double play and how it would have been a waste if, yes. you know, or if the, if that game was a loss, just basically like that, that play was too cool and too random to happen in a loss. You know, it just, and you, and you feel bad about that. Like Davis Martin's story should fit in like on a, on a postseason team. Like here's a guy who helped us get to October because like, if he didn't deliver those starts and those, you know, half dozen, you know, six inning appearances, like where will we have been without him? And it's a shame like that. He's going to be just kind of, you know, forgotten more or less, you know, unless he, you know, hopefully this is a, a precursor to a, a year where he's a bigger factor in things. But like, if this is where he peaks, like it's a shame that's uh, wasted on a team that just did not make the most use of a miracle uh, story like him. Davis Martin, which I don't think Michael Kopech going to come back this season. There's just really no need to to rush him back as the White Sox will not have anything to play for when he's actually healthy to throw again. Uh, Davis Martin is on track to pitch the final game of the regular season for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, so you get to have three more starts and we can learn more about Davis Martin. And, and like we mentioned, the, the White Sox have a lot of bad money. The roster construction is really poor. Maybe Davis Martin is the cheap number five starter the White Sox roll with. In 2023, I'm really intrigued and I'm with you, Jim. It's been one of the better stories of the 2022 White Sox season. The dart, I'm on the bandwagon. I think he's got staying power in the major leagues. Is that going to be as a full-time starter? Is he more of a swing man? I think we need more time to tell. And I think he's going to get three more starts here at the end of the 2022 season. And it'll be a reason to watch to see on how he progresses. Dylan Cease is going to have two more starts for the rest of the season. And for those that are meeting up with us in San Diego for the hashtag 108 road trip out in San Diego, uh, Dylan Cease is most likely his last start of the 2022 season is going to be that Saturday game against the Padres, which is our meetup day. Uh, so if you're on the fence, if you live out West and you're like, oh, I really want to go to San Diego and meet up everyone, maybe that gives you you know, a push that you buy tickets in Section 320 and you join us and we watch Dylan Cease make his final start of the 2022 season 
And uh, who knows? Maybe he does throw a no-hitter on Sunday, Jim. It's going to take that type of performance for Dylan Cease to convince some writers to give him some first-place votes if he were to have that type of mm-hmm. major accomplishment. Like, well, Dylan Cease threw a no-hitter. Justin Verlander didn't. And, hey, remember debate last yeah. year that innings matter? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if you have some of those people, maybe he, he steals some votes. But I, I think right now, if I were a betting man, and I am, uh, Dylan Cease will probably finish second in the American League Scion. And, and as you mentioned, that's nothing to sneeze at. And because he's pre-arb, Jim, he gets some of that new bonus money mm. from the CBA, that $100 million that goes into that pot. So Dylan Cease makes some uh, m- money. I think he gets more than like a million dollars. Uh, if he finishes in the top three of the American League Scion. So that's exciting. I don't know about the offense. Like, what's to pay attention to? Will anyone hit 20 home runs this season? Yeah. I guess that's what we're looking at now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will anybody draw a walk again? Like, that's that's another one. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, there isn't a whole lot to watch. Like, it seems like, you know, you have some guys who are, you know, Gavin Sheets, we kind of know what he is, I think, at this point. We're like, not a bad bet to have. Like, has some moments, you know, I don't think you want to count on him to, like, hold down one position, but he's nice to have as, like, an extra bat who occasionally gets on a heater and, and understands the strike zone a little bit. Like, he's fine. Like, you know, right now it feels like Mancata, you know, there's no way to 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 boost his trade value at all. Like, his situation is what it is. Like, Jimenez, like... Just hope he doesn't get hurt. You know, hope he hits a, a couple of mammoth homers to just be fun to watch. I guess you maybe I'm, I'm thinking like Jose Abreu you know, as we go into this like final stretch of the season. Like just who knows what's going to happen to him. And like probably, you know, if you're taking that that unemotional look at the White Sox roster, which we, we say is needed, like it's hard to see him fitting in anywhere. Like just he's older like he's having a good season but it's singles and the White Sox need extra base hits they need homers like he you know the way he's aging might not allow that to happen um you know he is a leader but we've seen like you know it's not a difference making form of leadership that he brings like he leads by example and uh, you know you need a, I guess like a a clubhouse that's paying attention in order to lead by example and you know perhaps they aren't so uh you know it seems like time to part ways you know I, I think probably mutually too. He might have some fatigue trying to uh, prop up the White Sox. So um, I I just hope that, you know, he ends on a high note that he, you know, doesn't fade off, like gives us a couple of moments. Like I I thought in the, um, the opening loss, he came through that big single to tie the game. Like, yeah, that's like, I was happy when he did that. Just like, cool. That's a, that's the Jose Abreu we've been watching. Nice to see him in that situation, uh, you know, continue to deliver when nobody else is. Like, that's, you know, when when his White Sox career is written, that's what Sox fans are going to remember him for. Like, playing every day, playing through a lot, and keep showing up and keep delivering, you know, big hits. He, uh, you know, he had some failures, just like, you know, Michael Jordan missed a lot of shots. But just like the same thing, like, he was there to have those opportunities, and ultimately, like, he converted on a lot of them and thank you for your service. Like that's kind of, I had to look at his, his career, like a lot of bad White Sox teams. He, it was not his fault. And so I'm hoping that, you know, the same thing, like it's a bad White Sox team, uh, continue to admire the pride and professionalism and talent with which he played and hope he sees it through as well. So that's the series against Detroit after this home series. This was originally supposed to be the final home games of the 2022 Season, if you recall the lockout, which feels like three years ago, uh, since <laughs> seeing how this season has gone, 
Uh, the lockout pushed the opening uh, day home series for the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins, the final three games of the regular season. So this is the final weekend. Uh, if you are someone that goes to White Sox games over the weekend, this will be the final weekend of the regular season to see the White Sox and to see Jose Abreu, the final home season games for the 2022 regular season for the White Sox is against the Minnesota Twins on Monday, October 3rd through Wednesday, October 5th. And maybe those are the final games of Jose Abreu's career with the Chicago White Sox. All right, so let's take a look at the playoff picture because Jim and I, we love this sport, damn it. And I know you guys love the sport too. So it the White Sox are not going to make the postseason. There's other things to keep our attention, to keep the conversation going. Looking at the American League playoff picture, Houston has 99 wins. They're going to have home field advantage. They're going to be the number one seed. Uh, The New York Yankees are going to the playoffs. They have 91 wins. They're going to be the number two seed. Cleveland winning the Central will be the number three seed. Where the race really is, is who's going to be the fourth, fifth, and sixth seeds. Toronto, 84 and 66. Tampa Bay, 83 and 67. Seattle, 82 and 67. And for Seattle and Tampa Bay, they're trying to chase down Toronto so they could host that first round of the postseason against the fifth seed. And I'm looking at the Seattle Mariners here, Jim, because this is a franchise that hasn't been to the postseason since 2001. And what a scene it would be if they were able to overcome both Tampa Bay and Toronto and host their first home playoff game since 2001. Seattle would be rocking, and that would be great theater to watch. Yeah, that's why I think looking at these teams, like, yeah, I picked the Blue Jays to win the pennant, I believe. It was a long time ago, and I made predictions. And But I think, you know, I, I like the way the Blue Jays were built. And so ultimately, like, I guess for my pride, I'd want to see them uh, go all the way. But, yeah, when it comes to crowds, um, you know, for years, I liked Oakland's playoff crowd watching them every year. I, I liked watching home games in Oakland because that was just a different sounding and looking park. Versus like the kind of stayed uh, Yankee Stadium crowd with, you know, just the the people in cushion seats, uh, you know, behind home plate and behind the dugouts and just, you know, lounging back like the Oakland crowd is very engaged every pitch. And I always wanted them to go deeper in the postseason than it did just to keep seeing that crowd. I, I, you know, that just mm-hmm. caught my interest. So I think, yeah, Seattle is probably... The closest to that, like Seattle crowds have been like, like I'm thinking like the Kings court with Felix Hernandez starts like they've, yeah. they've shown the ability to make their own fun during this, uh, you know, th- this drought. So I think giving them that kind of stage would be probably the, yeah, I'm looking at these other teams, even the national league, like, yeah, that has to be the crowd. Like the the environment mm-hmm. I want to see, so yeah, like I think you know, obviously I want the uh, Blue Jays to win so I can pat myself on the back, but I think emotionally probably the Mariners just to see if they can advance, just how livelier, louder, frenzied those crowds get. Yeah, because you could have Game One, Ken Griffey Jr. throws out the first pitch. Maybe Game Two you have Ichiro. Game Three you have Felix Hernandez throughout the first pitch. I just think it'd be an awesome. And the Mariners are so good at fan service too, with like their, you know, social media accounts with their Mm -hmm. ads, with their just, they know how to get their fans going, I think. And, and what, what, uh, you know, uh, 
gets their hearts involved, what gets their brains involved, just the team hasn't been there to support it. But yeah, now if they can get a postseason, you know, series win under their belts, like, yeah, it's that would be nuts. And I get the argument that some Seattle fans are going to be saying, no, stay in the sixth seed because they have played Cleveland very well this year. And if they win that series, they don't have to face Houston, which the Astros own the Mariners this year. They can go face the Yankees. It gives the Mariners a better shot of making the American League Championship Series. So I get it. No matter what, I would like to see the Mariners play a home playoff game in this postseason. So that's kind of what I'm rooting for in the American League. Baltimore is four games back of the Mariners. And, you know, they're, they're kind of running out of gas here. They're 78 and 71. But one hell of a run the Baltimore Orioles have made. In 2022, they're definitely going to be a team to watch next year. <laughs> Another team with a better record than the White Sox that weren't trying. Yep. In the National League, the Dodgers already have 103 <laughs> That's all you wins. Have to say, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Dodgers have 103 wins. They're going to be the number one seed. The New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. So that's one race of the National League East. The Mets are 95 and 56. The Braves are 93 and 57. They're a game and a half back of the New York Mets. In that race, Jim, who do you like better to win the National League East, the Mets or the Braves? I think like the Mets have uh, gotten some of their their win back. I think you know they they looked wobbly, and you know Atlanta just having done it, having um, you know all the experience, having you know a, a roster that's pretty much as good. You know, just maybe like you know quite a bit cheaper, but. They have no reason to fear the Mets in themselves. Like I thought, you know, they might have tippled uh, or, or tipped the scales a little bit and and toppled. Uh, that's the word I was looking for. Like the the Mets kind of confidence because you know you know LOL Mets era. Like they still have like they might still be learning like the finer points of being a fully competent and dangerous franchise. You know, that was one of the I guess doubts I had of just wondering like how quickly the Steve Cohen money cannon would take effect in, in terms of wins and losses. But I think I believe in them now to, to see it all the way through. I'm, I'm still, I, when I look at the national league, I still, it, it's funny as, as much as the Dodgers are like that kind of classic um, Goliath. And normally you want to see the, you know, the underdogs win. Like I really want to see them win. Like I like the way, like I appreciate how dominant they are and just how close to perfect they are. And I guess I want to see that rewarded more than I want to see an underdog beat them. They almost have a 700 winning percentage, Jim. 325 run differential. (laughs) I'm sure Craig Kimbrell's loving the trade. I'm sure he's, thank thank you, Rick Hahn. Thank you for setting me to the Dodgers. Yeah, they're 103 and 46, but their expected win loss record is 108 and 41. <laughs> so they're underperforming by five games. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, I I just want to see this kind of like excellence rewarded because, like, you know, then that goes back to the Billy Bean thing, like playoffs being a crapshoot, and if the postseason, you know, becomes heavier and heavier in terms of just like how much of the calendar it takes up and how everybody's fixated on. You know, whether you get in or not, like that kind of excellence, I think your know, regular season excellence is diminished. So, uh, you know, while I can, I still like emphasizing just how hard it is to build a team that can win this much and so dominantly. And, you know, if they like lose in the first or, you know, ALDS, ALCS, like everybody's going to say like, oh, they flopped. Like, no, like when you have a regular season this good, 
you can't possibly be a failure. I think like they're just, they're breaking models in terms of just how a 325, you know, plus 325 run differential, like how, right. I mean, they're that good. That's how Yeah, the Braves have, you know, the Braves are next to look at like actually Yankees are next 223. So they're a hundred runs better than the next team. Makes sense to me. So yeah, I mean, they're good. I mean, they're, they might be one of the best teams in our lifetime. If they go and they run the National League host, uh, the playoff bracket, and they win the World Series, yeah, the Dodgers are going to be right up there with the those late 90s Yankees teams as one of the best teams in our lifetime, Jim. I don't think that's a bold statement. Yeah, and if they come up short, it'll be like, yeah, if they come up short, it'll be like the Mariners team uh, that, you know, set the record for wins and then, you know, lost in the ALCS and just that Mariners team was, you know, and I think Mariners fans appreciate that team too. Just like that was cool as hell. Like, you know, as, as much as it was unfortunate that they couldn't like see it all the way through, like, you know, when you spend six months, six plus months with a team, like, you know, to me, at least that, that kind of, you know, basically unrepeatable excellence, I think is just, it's really hard to overlook, at least from the way I see it. The other race in the National League is in the wild card. San Diego's 83 and 67. They would be currently the fifth seed. Philadelphia is currently the sixth seed. They're 82 and 67. So they're half game back of the Padres. And then you have the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Brewers are starting to play better baseball. They've won six of their last 10 games. They're 80 and 70. So they're two and a half games back of the Phillies for that sixth seed. Padres, Phillies, Brewers, Jim pick two teams that make it into the postseason. I think I'm going chalk Padres and Phillies. I think I'm leaning that way as well, but San Diego needs to start scoring more consistently. And the White Sox have a chance to be spoiler. And I think White Sox fans are going to be surprised and all these marquee names for the Padres. And they have a really tough time consistently scoring this season. Yeah, I think, you know, it's more, you know, I just have a hard time believing in the Brewers, like just the, when you see their lineup and you see this, you know, what they've been getting by with. And, you know, I think it's a testament to the depth of their organization and Craig Council and just, you know, as we talk about ideas, you know, having ways to try to, you know, to, to, to avoid the iceberg. Um, I think the Brewers are very good at that. Um, And, you know, I like Milwaukee. I like the Brewers. Like I generally speaking, I root for them, but I like the chaos of the Padres and the Phillies. Like just how, how interesting they are. Like just for better or for worse, like how they're built. Uh, yeah. And in the Phillies case, like the defense they play, like the amount of outcomes those teams can generate from series to series. I enjoy following from the outside. I imagine it's gotta be hell on the inside. I mean, like we've, we've kind of experienced a milder version of that. Just, you know, the White Sox thing have been very boring in their chaos. <laughs> I think the Phillies are, you know, just their their swings are a lot more extreme from from one side to the other in terms of how good they look in a given week. But I, I, I guess as somebody on the outside looking in, not emotionally involved in one team or another, I guess I just I'm rooting for the teams that have a wider that capture a wider range of their fans emotions. And I think if you put the two of them yeah, if they ever cross paths in the postseason, what would happen? I think Philadelphia will overcome San Diego to be that fifth seed and like face the Atlanta Braves, which that would be a fun series to watch. And then San Diego faces St. Louis. 
I really like that St. Louis team, Jim. Since the since the trade deadline, the way they've been playing, the way that Albert Pujols has been hitting, I really like that St. Louis team. I do too. And I mean, I've liked St. Louis for years. Every time you mention like the NL Central, like, oh, St. Louis, they, I mean, you look on paper, the, the trades they make, like the Goldschmidt move and the Arenado move, like they always make the killer moves that I wish the White Sox had the... Uh, capital and and you know imagination to make and they make them and i get jealous but then like they always or at least the past few years they've come up short uh i guess like less than the uh uh the, the sum is less than their parts and this year it felt like they're doing it but they've had a little bit of a rough patch lately and i'm not sure if that's just because they're comfortable like they you know they're a little bit of a uh you know the, the central is more or less settled and uh they can kind of cruise to where they're going to be. They're not going to catch the Mets. They're not going to catch the Dodgers. So they know where they're going to be. And so maybe there's a little bit of that settling in. But yeah, they've been a little bit quieter as of late. And I'm hoping they aren't because when they're playing like their brand of baseball and like, you know, Goldschmidt, Arnato, uh, you know, Pools doing what he's doing, like they have, they're fun to watch. And they have, you know, pitching depth. They have, um, you know, pretty good defense. So, I mean, like, they're a team that I think is a good postseason team that if they're playing baseball, I would be interested in watching them play postseason baseball. Again, we love this sport. We love this league. So in upcoming podcast episodes, don't be surprised if Jim and I talk more about what's going on outside of the White Sox. There's a lot of offseason conversations to be had. I think, honestly, we have to wait. In, when the offseason starts to have some of those conversations. So unfortunately, those talking points are going to get pushed back into November. In October, we'll have our 2022 season review podcast, which will take players and break down how their seasons went and talk about what the future holds for them and have those conversations. Those are always very fun podcasts. But in the upcoming weeks here, we're going to be talking about the Major League postseason and I know you guys are interested in the postseason as well, and you will watch it with us. Uh, so if you have any questions regarding to that, especially our Patreon supporters, we'll, we'll be more of a general <laughs> baseball podcast in the next couple of weeks because um, this is exciting. Yeah. Well, unless, uh, you know, one thing I'm, I'm kind of curious about over the, the, the remaining White Sox schedule is whether, like, the gr- how loud the grumbling is going to get. Like whether there's going to be any dissension, uh, you know, anybody going to be, be making their displeasure known. Like uh, the situation is rife for a little bit of inner turmoil, and we'll gladly cover that because that's interesting. Yeah, if there's drama, we will yeah. definitely cover the drama. Going through the motions, not so much, but if we're going through the emotions, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as Jim mentioned, as far as uh, gratitude at the beginning of the show, we are grateful for all of you who have been listening to us all throughout the season. It sucks that the White Sox did not meet our expectations and we're not getting hyped and excited and talking about how the White Sox can get ready for the postseason. It was just not in the cards in 2022 for us, but... It's been a great season to do all these podcasts with you guys. For all those that signed up to become new Patreon supporters, thank you guys so much for your continued support. It has been a weird year, Jim. We had the lockout to start the year. We didn't know when the season was going to start, and we had this season of all seasons, and yet we continue to gain Patreon supporters, and that warms my heart. 
Yeah, and I think uh, our listenership is up too. I haven't it seen is. the numbers in a while, so I don't know if you're hiding bad numbers from me. But no, it, it's uh, the trajectory has been uh, better than the team deserved. <laughs> like maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a, maybe we're doing such a great job. No, it's. Uh, when you see the White Sox play this poorly and, you know, we struggle week after week to try to say something different when the White Sox aren't giving us any different, uh, anything different or to say or write about, like we're very uh, appreciative that you've hung with us and that, you know, you keep coming back because, you know, the White Sox every week provide reasons not to, and we could not blame you if you'd wanted to take a break. But like I said, like if you, if you have a limited amount of bandwidth and attention you can devote the white Sox. like we're not a bad way to devote that attention like <laughs> if you don't if you don't watch games and and you just prefer us to be your eyes and ears to, in terms of like you know what we saw and 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 you know you know what to, what you need to know from uh what you missed like we're, we're happy to serve that purpose so we'll try to help it's uh a lot of help is needed more than we can provide but we'll try to do what we can we can dust off the old catchphrase jim Sox machine we watch the White Sox, so you don't have to. Yes. And we'll do that for the rest of the regular season while talking about the upcoming postseason. And the rest of our lives until uh, somebody puts us down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or maybe we put ourselves down. Uh, but that will do it again for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We mentioned Patreon. If you guys want to help support us, you can at uh, patreon.com slash socks machine our patreon supporters they get more they get exclusive content they get ad-free versions of the podcast the website and when we when we have new socks machine swag they're the first ones to get it monthly plans start at two dollars or you can save with an annual subscription again sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as spotify and apple music by the way i've noticed a lot more reviews on spotify Thank you guys for doing that. That was nice to see. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.